You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash The Whole Church Podcast. We had some difficulties with next week's recording, so after this week, we will be taking one week off before returning to our normal schedule. Thank you for understanding, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Ephesians 6, verse 12 states, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Pastor Will, uh, when we're thinking about church unity, how does understanding who our struggle is against, how does that help unity in the church? Yeah, I love this passage. I think for me, it captures that there's a bigger picture going on than just uh, on the surface. They kind of got to go deeper, um, that there are deeper things uh, in our lives that, that we're wrestling with and think unseen things we can't see. For example, um, you know, when someone asks me a question, usually there's a question behind the question that they're really trying to get at. If someone at church is, is mad that we... Uh, um, change the Lord's Prayer from the old King James English to like a modern day version English. Are they are they mad that we change the Lord's Prayer, or are they just really scared or fearful that their their church is changing in ways? That there's a lot of things going on in their world that is changing, and they're and they're scared of that stuff. So I, for me, it, it just shares with me that there's a there are bigger things at work than than just this on the surface. Hey guys, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast probably your favorite church unity podcast i am one of your co-hosts the host you like the least joshua noel uh here with the one and only the greatest host of all time tj tiberius juan blackwell give it up thank you thank you uh they did ask me to host the night show but i turned it down for this <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I know colbert i know jimmy fallon all of them are just really trying to hang on to their jobs the best they can. Oh, they hate me. Yeah. They hate me. <laughs> we're all we're in the group chat every night and they're just fighting for their lives. They're yeah. stealing my jokes left and right. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever seen any of those late night shows, you're you're basically just listening to TJ. Hey guys, we're also here with a fantastic guest host. Uh the one and only. Hopefully you're familiar with him. Pastor Will Rose. Uh welcome back, man. Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, I am not beating anybody out for talk shows or YouTube influencers these days, but I am pastoring a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, a Lutheran church, and uh, we just got through um, the big Easter season and head towards the summer. So different kind of pace uh, of, of schedule around these parts when the university's all gone back home, but Good to be with you guys and good to talk about some some fun, uh, geeky, zesty subjects within the church. Yeah, yeah. Today's subject, speaking of which, uh, we're going to be continuing our Dividing Scripture series, which you guys might have forgotten about because it turns out the last time we did one of these were last August. So it's been a while. We are bringing it back and we're going to ease you into it. We're not going to do everything at once. I'm not going to break down every single verse, go through all of the history of how this has been interpreted we're going to talk about one side of this, what the issues throughout the biblical text are concerning a character that might not be your favorite, the one and only Satan. Uh, 
If you don't remember, we were in the book of Job. Um, there's a lot of controversy of the character of Satan in that book. Um, I say character because it may or may not be literal, but whether it was or not, it certainly is literature. So that's just a term that I like to use. Um, yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about. Right, and this is our first Dividing Scriptures episode with a guest. So if you like it, hop over to Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever you listen, and leave us a review, anchor.fm, if you use that. Uh, introduce yourself. I've never met anyone who uses that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, rate us. Rate us high, rate us low. We love it all. I love yeah. hearing bad things about me. I, I want to see how high you can go, so just, you know... <laughs> Yeah, and if you if you really go low and you don't like this guest host on this t- topic, then then it's not uh, Joshua or TJ's fault. It's all mine. So I'll take all the blame. I'll take oh, all the blame man. if this was yeah. the the poor the poorest reviewed episode in in your uh, pantheon of episodes. I'll take the blame. Yeah. So I am excited for today's topic. Uh, for Job, unlike in Genesis, we we did dividing scriptures all through Genesis, and we kind of took it one part at a time in order of how it happened. And Job, we're going to be doing a little more topical. Um, there's different topics that are debated in Job, and I just feel like that's a better approach to this. So we're going to be talking about the topic of Satan in the book of Job and how that's been debated. Um, we're not going to go through the history. Like I said, uh, expect a part two to this where we do talk about the history of how Satan has been interpreted from the Bible. Um, today, since we have a special guest, we want to kind of more focus on the subject of it all and just kind of do an intro in that way. Um, so I, I picked a, a, an up. A topic appropriate silly question. As you guys know, my favorite form of unity is silliness. So we have to start with silly question. Today, I want to know, and uh, TJ and I will answer first. Give you some time, Pastor Will. Which cartoon depiction of a devil is your favorite? Uh, TJ, would you care to go first? Uh, I will. Uh, I'm going to say, first of all, that Cuphead counts because it is a video game in rubber hose style. All right. It was very cartoony. And uh, then I'm going to say my favorite depiction of a devil is not from Cuphead. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it is definitely the, I forget what he's even called in Cuphead. I don't think they just call him Satan, but that's who he is. Uh, the dice man who buys Cuphead's soul or wins it in a game of poker dice. I don't know. I just love him. He's so goofy. Fun. Robert Ellis style is great. Mine's also a goofy, a goofy devil. Um, and ironically, this is the second time we've mentioned the show today. Uh, so Futurama has the robot devil. <laughs> and it's I'm just, changing my answer. <laughs> they robot just, devil from Futurama. <laughs> they just depict all of the worst stereotypes and like, you know, random like cliches about Satan possible. And they put it in and they just present it in a really silly, fun way. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that character. Yeah. I think he's Instrumental. hilarious. To the first series finale of Futurama, which was great. Yeah, yeah. Not a minor character, really. I mean, not, you know, a main character, but... All right, Pastor Will, what's your favorite cartoon depiction of a devil? Yeah, I, I w- I'm going to cheat a little bit, too. I think when I think of specifically cartoons, I, I always think about when that angel and devil pops up on either shoulder. It could be in Bugs Bunny or whatever. You know, they have a hard dilemma. They're trying to decide what to do, good or bad. An angel pops up on one, a devil on the other, and it always seems like the devil beats up the uh, the angel. So, so that's kind of one one aspect. But I, I another aspect of the devil I really like. It's not necessarily a cartoon, but it could be very cartoony. 
was this um, immediately thought of the skit from Saturday Night Live back in the 80s when John Lovitz played the devil uh, in like an episode of People's Court. And if you haven't watched that uh, skit before, you can pull it up on YouTube. John Lovett's playing the devil is one of the most epic, funny things I've I've ever seen. So it is a it's a classic. It is so freaking good. So pull it up. I'll pull it up today. Knowing this question was coming, I was like, I'm gonna go find this this <laughs> thing that I think I remember, and I found it on YouTube. And it's very, it's very. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I, change my answer one more time. Okay. It's Kronk's shoulder devil from Emperor's New Groove. Uh, yeah, I'm so upset you that. cut me off because I was going to just say honorable mention to Kronk's shoulder devil. <laughs> um, which, hey, this is this is the one time that the silly question brings up something, you know, factually interesting. Um, that started because of the shepherd, the book, The Shepherd of Hermaz, uh, which was almost biblical canon. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't. But uh, one of the thing quotes in there is there are two angels of a man, one of righteousness and one of iniquity. That's where that idea originated. And then as Christian tradition came along and people came up with, you know, guardian angels, everyone has their own guardian angel. Someone said, well, everyone has their own devil, too, then. Mm. And that's how we came up with that concept. So there's actually historical theological background to that um, motif in cartoons. Nice. All right. So if you are new to the show or you just don't remember uh, on the whole church podcast, we like to put our church issues into one of three tiers. Uh, Tier one is gospel. That is, you believe Jesus is son of God. You know, we agree. God is king, king of kings, Lord of lords, all that good stuff. Tier two are the issues that may prevent you from worshiping at the same church. Tier one is we cannot call each other brothers in Christ if we disagree on this. Tier two is we cannot go to the same church, but we can still call each other brother and sister in Christ. And I don't like bringing up what some of these issues are because some of those might be a little controversial. But <laughs> uh, Tier three is we can sit on the same pew and disagree about this subject. Not really yeah. a big deal here. So yeah. uh, our goal in this series is to discuss the disagreements over these passages and see what level of unity is possible as we disagree on them. Uh, Will, before we jump in, you said you had a hot take on the book of Job. Yes, I, I will say that that Job has become, over the years, one of my, my favorite books of the Bible, just because I think um, it's so edgy and, and honest. And, and in the midst of all that we've gone through over the last couple of years, um, it, it's just uh, the more I read it, the more I study it, the more I, I just kind of fall in love with its nuance and and the point it's trying to get across. We studied it in our young adult Bible study um, over over COVID, over Zoom, and and we really got into it. There's a, a fun book that I'll share here in a little bit that helped me get into some of the translation, uh, kind of a new translation of the Hebrew. Um, but I, I like that this book uh, kicks off uh, the wisdom literature portion of the library of the Bible. So if you think of the Bible, it's just a kind of library of books. Uh, you have a um, history section, you have a prophetic section, you have poetry, um, and, and you ha- <clears throat> have the wisdom literature. Job is what kicks it off. Even before you get to like Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes, uh, the book of Job kicks it off. And um, Proverbs is so steeped in this kind of idea, this religious idea that if you do good, good will follow. 
if you do bad, bad will follow. Job is like, nope, that's not how it always works. And I disagree with you on that. And it wrestles with this kind of uh, mystery of undeserved suffering. And, and it doesn't even answer it. There, there's some dialogue back and forth. God talks, God responds, Job talks and responds, but it doesn't come down with a definitive answer. And so it leaves that kind of hanging with us to, to say, yeah, what do we do with undeserved human, human suffering? Um, is, it, is this a Shakespearean tragedy? Is it a comedy? Is it a parody? Is it a Saturday Night Live skit? There's times when you think that like God is almost like a Saturday Night Live character. The devil is almost like a Silent Live character, and they're parodying this kind of religious understanding of, you know, if you play by the rules, then good will happen to you. And Job is like, no, I disagree. And so in a world where there's a lot of disagreement and polarization, I like that within the canon of Scripture itself, these two books can be side by side. Even though they have different takes or may disagree about things, they can still be in the same Bible and have this dialogue and, and wrestle with this question, who is God and what is God, God all about? What is our place uh, in this universe? Um, I will also say I, I love how this book uh, sheds a light on that faith isn't about um, sin management or rules as much as it is about uh, sitting with the absurdity of life and the mystery and messiness of, of life and faith, which I feel like I experience and I see people experience um, all the time. And then I'll also share uh, two, two more quick things. Um, someone wrote in a commentary that I, that I really like this take, and it talks about how maybe Job isn't about God pulling puppet strings, uh, but it's more about how we respond to human suffering, how we treat our friends who are in the midst of it. So this book is super long. It's 40-some chapters. And these, these speeches and monologues by friends that are there to help Job go on for an extended amount of time. And I love the fact that like, hey, are you annoyed about how long-winded these friends are? Well, guess what? <laughs> Job feels the same way you do. You have a friend that's trying to explain the kind of the, the uh, kind of patent answer or the kind of cliche answer to human suffering to explain why you're suffering from cancer or someone, a loved one died or a national tragedy. Are you annoyed by those cliche hallmark kind of answers? Well, guess what? Job is too. And that, that's canon. That's, that's scripture. So maybe it's not necessarily about God as much as it's about how we respond to our friends who are in the midst of suffering. And you're not there yet. We're going to talk about Satan, but I will say, I will recommend this book. Uh, it's called Job, a new translation by Dr. Edward Greenstein. He's a Hebrew scholar in um, Israel. And when we were doing this book study, uh, Bible study with our young adults, he had a couple of things in that book that I was um, uh, had questions about. And I just I found his email on his university website and shot him an email. And he answered. He was like, cool, you're reading my book? I'll answer your email. Uh, but one kind of hinge verse that the whole book um, hinges on is, is chapter 42, verse 6 and the translation of the Hebrew. Um, his, his take is that, yeah, it's normally translated in most Bibles where Job says, I, decide, I despise myself, I repent in dust and ashes. The way he translates the Hebrew is that Job doesn't say he repents as much as he says, well, God, if that's your answer, then I take pity on dust and ashes. In other words, if that's your response to human suffering, and I feel sorry for humans. Um, and then that honesty is when things change for Job. Uh, 
in the midst of his life where things are added back into his life and blessings happen. Um, I find that really, really neat and a different take from Dr. Greenstein. So there's my kind of long-winded, short, hot take on the book <laughs> of Joe. I, I just love the book so much. Um, and and that in the, even the midst of like this book, Job's friends are quoting him Proverbs. They're yeah. quoting him Proverbs. And Job's like, yeah, sounds good, but that's not my story, man. Sorry, that's not happening to me. And God doesn't get mad at Job. He gets upset at his friends for not being good friends to him, for, for according to him, these cliche answers and uh, from the actual scripture. So um, I just love how its place in canon, its place within the whole story. And that's why I think Job, uh, its story is timeless and sticks with us. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe Pastor Will will join us uh, when we continue going through Job uh, and dividing scripture. He might pop I, back up. You never know. I, will. I, love I um, Yeah. So a few things on that. Um, first, I recommend episode 99 of ours is when we first talked about Job. Um, so if you kind of wanted to hear, we went through a lot of the main debates and some of these and just kind of touched on it as like a general introduction. So I know that was a long time ago. I still think it was worth checking out, guys. Um, and one of the things we mentioned on there, and that's going to be a big part of not just this discussion, but also what Will's talking about, is whether or not the book of Job literally happened. If Job was actually human, or was, was he? did he exist? Um, you know, C.S. Lewis came down as, no, this is just, you know, this is poetry. This is just a fictional story. It's meant to be representation. It didn't actually happen. Um, obviously, a lot of people don't agree with that, even in Lewis's own time. You know, there's a lot of debate over whether this story is historical or whether it's a allegory or what it is. Um, and to Will's point, I don't think this is necessarily contradicting Proverbs. Um, one thing my pastor used to like to say a lot was uh, uh, use scripture to balance scripture. Mm. Um, and there's this uh, Aristotle has the doctrine of the mean. And yes, that's not biblical, whatever. But it's this idea that between two extremes is the right answer. And sometimes our human brains can only see the extremes. So I think putting these together and considering both perspectives of Job and Proverbs, I think that is where the truth lies in a lot of this. So maybe consider doing that. Um, so the reason we're talking about Satan today, uh, we're at Job 1 verses 6 through 22. Satan is, you know, he's talking to God. He's like, yo, dude. Well, first God was talking to Satan because he showed up. Uh, and it's like, and God was like, hey, where you been? He's like, ah, you know, I've just been checking out Earth, seeing what's going on. God's like, okay, hey, so uh, how's everybody doing? Have you have you looked at Job? He's a cool guy. So it was like, nah, man, if you push him, he'll break. He'll break. And that's just sort of the conversation that's going down. The reason we're talking about it, the reason there's a debate, the reason this is a dividing scripture, if you will, is because the Hebrew there is Hasatan, the Satan, or the adversary. It's actually a legal term. So we're going into the courtroom of God in this section a legal terms thrown out there, someone who is welcomed in part of what I think is part of the sons of God, part of these collective of divine entities. Um, and divine entities could include angels, mind you. And the debate is, is this Satan as in the devil? Or is this just an adversary who's just part of God's you know, courtroom saying, hey, man, I, I want to accuse, because that's another word for Satan, his accuser, these people of whatever. Do you mean advisory? What do you mean? Instead of adversary. No. I, mean, I meant adversary. No. Accuser. Is what, did I say adversary? Yes. 
I think it could be that too, though. Um, some of the other places where it says Satan in the Old Testament is never really used to mean the evil figure in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament a few times, but in the Old Testament, it's only used as adversary, uh, accuser, that sort of thing. It is actually said of the son of God, not the son of God, the angel of the Lord, a few different places is said to be a Satan. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, particularly if you guys know the uh, the story of the the mule that wouldn't let the man continue. And it turned out it's because the angel of the Lord was there stopping it. Yeah. Uh, it, in that in the Hebrew, it says that the angel of the Lord was being a Satan right then or a Satan right then, if you want to pronounce it in American. <laughs> and I don't think any of us would say the angel of God or God himself is Satan. So we have to come up to this question of how is this word being used here? And is it meant to portray the devil or, you know, the main enemy? Or is it just meant as someone who's accusing Job? Yeah, so uh, that's where we're at. We did want to read part of the scripture we're talking about today. So, uh, Right. Job 1, 6 through 12 is, uh, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. And also, and Satan also came with them. You know, I love reading these with the little, you know, source numbers beside them. Messes me up all the time. Uh, The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? He replied, uh, from roaming through the earth and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Uh, In the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, there is a footnote that states Satan could have also been translated as the advisory. Uh, Check your Bibles to see if they have something similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. So part, part of when we're talking about Hasatan, the Satan, and we're talking about the um, division around that term and all that, you get into just the debates on whether or not Satan or the devil exists at all and how it's used, that kind of thing. Um, one of the, the key passages that people like to use in the Old Testament, if we're talking about Satan and, you know, there's a lot of you might have heard the origin story of Lucifer being that he rebelled against God, thought that he could be higher than God, was cast down with a third of the angels. I'm, I'm, some of this is going to be a little bit of myth busting for people. Some of this is going to be <laughs> nice. It's going to be. It's going. This might get a little interesting. So Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 is what you want to read to kind of see where this goes. And what's interesting is this debate has actually gone hard the other way. Originally, these these chapters were thought of as only having to do with Satan, right? And now we're of the, oh, no, no, this is definitely only about man. Um, in Isaiah 14, the, the little header says, about the king of Babylon. <laughs> and, you know, those headers weren't in the original text. So that's why the debate happened. If they just had that header in the beginning, you know, <laughs> but wasn't there. So now we're looking at Isaiah 14. We're looking at Ezekiel 28. And we're wondering... Is this about these human kings? Are they about these divine figures? Or could it be both? Could God be telling a story that happened 
in the divine realm to bring out a point of what's happening in the human realm. That's sort of the debate that goes on right now. And what's interesting is, uh, drum roll, everybody. Here, here's one of those mythbuster moments. The term Lucifer is only used once in your Bible, and it's in Isaiah 14. Most new translations don't even ter- interpret it that way. Most new translations don't have the word Lucifer. Lucifer meant the morning star. It was something that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, according to our historical records, just liked to call himself. And that's why it's used in the Bible, not because it's saying that that's the name of the devil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Pastor Will, would you uh, read that a section from Isaiah 14 for everybody that has Lucifer in it? Absolutely. From Isaiah, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down from the earth. You have been weakened by the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrown down to Sheol in the recesses of the pit. And again, that translation there, Star of the Morning, can also be translated as Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of your Bibles will have like a little footnote you can see. it. They Ezekiel also has like a header that says that whole, oh, this is about this. And that's something you'll often see in your Bibles, especially if you go to Daniel. They'll have these headers that says, oh, this, this prophecy is about this. Or it'll, it won't say this is what it's about. It'll have the header, a prophecy about blank. That is not in your original text. So a lot of the times when you're going through your Bible, those little headers and whatever is going to be just people trying to interpret it for you. Not just say, translating the text, but also interpreting, which is part of translation. But you get a little bit of bias of what they think should be the interpretation thrown in. Um, and that definitely forms the debate. Right. And and yeah, that kind of goes back to me sharing that book uh, of the Hebrew scholar about about Job, a new translation that that he did. He's he's really picking apart and builds his case of why he interpreted the Hebrew Hebrew words the way he did. Um, So when you're reading the English versions, there's someone who is translating from the Greek, from the Hebrew, uh, what you're reading. And there's nuance there uh, for for English love can mean we have one word for love and then in its context what we mean by it but in the greek and the hebrew there are more than one word and so that kind of helps signify what it means and so he builds his case of why that translation and i and i agree with his translation not that i'm a hebrew scholar but it kind of tracks the whole story of the book of job uh, it makes sense from what the the case he's building yeah yeah for sure um also, part of the debate really comes down to how different the Old Testament and New Testament handles this Satan character, the devil, whatever. Old Testament just seems like, you know, the Satan is just, you know, it's an adversary, it's uh, an accuser, it's whatever. And then New Testament, it's there's the devil, there is the main bad guy. Um, there's a bunch of different names. So maybe the main bad guy is different people. Maybe there's multiple main bad guys. It, it's there's a lot in the New Testament, though, that seems to be talking about a single figure. And that's where a lot of the debate really happens. And that transition, it seems like it comes during the second temple theology when you have a books like Enoch and Jubilee talking a lot. And the book of Jubilee, this is fun. Um, it talks about the chief of the demons who was Azazel was his name, not Lucifer. And in Jubilee, uh, the chief demon was Master Amma. 
<laughs> so was the devil Azazel? Was it Master Ma? Was it Lucifer? Maybe that actually is his name. It's really kind of hard to say. Um, the chains of Satan, if you heard, if you see like the picture of hell with chains and stuff was meant, it wasn't meant for Satan. It was one of the Satans, one of the accusers, one of the angels of God had chains down in hell meant to trap some of the enemies of the people of God. And now a lot of these ideas come from this part of it's not scripture, but this in between the Old and New Testament, sort of like, you know, the stuff that happened between the prequels and main episodes of Star Wars. That's where a lot of the stories right. really happening of the change of this character and how people perceived him. So I want to ask you guys, why do you think the New Testament talks so much more about this singular enemy, the devil, Satan, chief accuser, whatever he might be called? Um, some places it says Beelzebub, which is actually just a Baal ruler, which, you know, we all know Baal from the Old Testament. Yeah. But why, why is it so much more focused on a singular enemy in the New Testament? Well, I, I think we love to overlook the fact that uh, it says it clearly. Nebuchadnezzar is the devil. <laughs> it says Lucifer. He is Lucifer. It goes over that so many times. We just have misplaced, you know enmity towards these poor deific beings and really our true enemy is Nebuchadnezzar. That's my two cents at least. Yeah, I think we I, I think it's important to set the scriptures within their context. This wasn't just like uh, the Bible is is not um, God writing something down with a divine hand and then handing it to us, but it it's emerges out of communities. It emerges out of uh, people wrestling with these questions. And it's not to say, of course, uh, scripture is inspired. Scripture is the word of God. It, it's divinely guided uh, as, as a rule, a norm for our faith and what we believe. But they also still emerge out of uh, communities and people. And so this, but the New Testament community um, is in the wake of the, the Hebrew community that came out of, like, like Joshua said, the, the second temple history um, of coming out of Babylonian captivity. And so some of their myths, some of their thoughts, some of their understanding of God and the spiritual realm uh, were influenced by, by the people they were around. So uh, Zoroastrianism, um, it was a heavily um, kind of dualistic good versus evil kind of thought there in the Babylonian world, kind of modern day Iran. And so uh, they had very defined um, understanding of angels and demons and the powers at work and this kind of divine tug of war that was going on. And so those uh, who were the authors of the New Testament, those who lived in New Testament times, uh, some of that was in the zeitgeist of, of the day and they're wrestling with what that means for them. And so when they're trying to articulate the personification of evil, uh, they're making it more of kind of this main character and bad guy, uh, the devil. Satan, Lucifer, where whereas Jesus, you know, is literally being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, one one entity, one person. I think a lot of our ideas about what the devil looks like comes more from like uh, Dante's Inferno and kind of uh, kind of those myths, you know. But it's more nuanced that sometimes we often picture, yeah, the devil is just kind of dressed in red, the pitchfork horn, like John Lovitz in the SNL. Um, skit just as much as we kind of sometimes stereotype God as kind of old man in the sky sitting on the clouds. Um, of course, we don't believe God is an old man in the sky. God's more nuanced than that. God is not male nor female. God is um, 
doesn't have like a long white beard. God's more than that, deeper than that. In the same way, I think when we talk about the devil, um, we, we, we sometimes like to um, cartoon or caricature this entity with like horns and a pitchfork and a tail, but, but it's deeper and more nuanced than that. But I really think the New Testament's coming out of a community. That's where they were in their history. And they're, um, they're trying to find ways to articulate what is this, like Job's doing, wrestling with what is this mystery of suffering, of evil, and how is that personified or embodied uh, in our community, in our midst? Yeah, I think it's, you know, these are deeply cultural terms for a lot of the authors. And at, at the end of the day, I think they're being used to refer to the enemy, the one enemy, as those who oppose us. Right. Not specifically like this goetic demon or, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, but more in general, those who would wish us harm. Right. And honestly, at this point, I think if the devil doesn't wear the red and the horns and the tail and the pitchfork, he's just kind of missing an opportunity. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Right. I think but, those stereotypes really do come from like medieval paintings and Dante's Inferno more than like, you know, I, th I think we've grown, you know, like kids Sunday school, we, we have pictures of Jesus and Noah's Ark and we have God in the sky and that kind of thing. I asked a question at my children's message this past Sunday, you know, where's God? And they're like in heaven, far away from earth. And I'm like, yeah, then let's talk about what, what is heaven? Where's where God is far away from earth. And I'm like, well, what if I told you God is here with us now? What does that look like? So how do you wrap your head around these concepts? And I think sometimes it's easier to get stuck in like kindergarten, Sunday school, and you picture Jesus or picture, picture Satan as this kind of devil on your shoulder with a pitchfork and tail. But but it's more nuanced than that. And I think the New Testament's wrestling with that and it's emerging, it's a growing, it's it's evolving along with how we understand how the world is operating. Yeah, I think it would have been great if uh, the kids just pulled out their copy of the book of Enoch and started listing <laughs> off the measurements for heaven. And yeah, well, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, yeah, man, I would have given them good geek credit. If that was it. They did nine that, by nine by nine. And <laughs> I bought them all candy bars, like oh, winners, man. winners. If they did yeah. that. Yeah. But it, it, it is interesting. And there's so many different names throughout the new Testament. Is it just the devil? Is it the devil and the accuser? Is it the devil and the dragon? Is it the devil and the dragon and the beast and the accuser and the antichrist and the, uh, the, king of the air or you know what who is this is it one person is it multiple people what's going on um in another place uh you may have heard the whole the devil was cast down with a third of the angels thing um and really what's interesting is where that comes from is revelations 12 3 through 4 here's how it reads uh then another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten hordes and on his heads were seven diadems and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. This is obviously very symbolic language. And that's where a lot of the argument goes down. Just people are like, well, this, this must mean the devil and, the, and a third of the angels were cast down before creation. When it's this symbolic, it doesn't must mean anything. <laughs> so naturally, there's debate. So are there multiple Satans? Uh, if we're, if we're by Satan, you mean accuser or enemy or demon? Yes. If there's one main bad guy, I would ask Pastor Will. 
I think a lot of the Jesus's terms and stuff seems to suggest there's probably one, but I, I wouldn't say that I definitively know. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, um, I think if we're going to believe and place our faith that, you know, of course God is, God is God. Um, and then there's a host of heaven um, and a host of angels in a spiritual realm that we just talked about in Ephesians a little bit ago that, that there's also kind of a host um, of of demons of 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 evil of bad you know where there's one chief leader called Lucifer saying it seems like the Bible leans towards that way uh, I'm not going to definitively say I I will lean away from like this divine kind of tug of war between God and the devil and we'll see who wins in the end kind of the Zoroastrianism or the dualism that we often get caught up with in the world um, I I don't think um, there, there is no match for God, for Christ. Uh, but, but I do think, you know, in terms of wrestling with the mystery of human suffering and pain and evil and the choices we make and whether it's deserved or undeserved, I, I, I think there are greater things at work that we can't perceive or understand. And, and I would say that um, there's a host of demonic forces at work um, as well. So why does the church talk so much about the devil if the Bible is so unclear about him and who he is. Well, yeah, I, I think it's, it's again, we're trying to um, wrestle with why, why there's pain and why there's suffering, why there's evil, like the, the tragedy that happened last week at the, the mass shooting, the racist shooting at the grocery store in, in Buffalo. How do we, how do we name that? Is it the devil? Is it demonic forces of this person? Um, we we want to, not necessarily kind of, uh, we want to find a way to wrap our heads around it and understand it. Um, and I do think there, there are literal forces at work uh, behind it. Um, but I also think we're trying, humans are, are meaning making machines with our brains and we're doing our best to try to make meaning out of things. And I think the New Testament's wrestling with that philosophically and theologically and how we understand the nature of God to be in the world we're living in. So is this a first, second, or third tier issue? Um, remind me, the third tier is what? That we disagree, but we can sit in the same pew? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a th third tier. I think um, I don't think it should keep us away from not attending the same church with each other. Um, and I don't think it's like first tier that it's, it's got to be gospel or not if you don't believe in the, that there's an actual devil or not. Um, you, you can't be in the same family. Um, same umbrella of Christianity. So I would call it a third tier. There's probably others who disagree with me, but we'll put two importance on that, on the literal right. interpretation of Revelation or Job, but I'm not necessarily in that literal camp. And so I think it's a third tier. Right. Yeah. I would probably do second or third, probably leaning towards third. Uh, the only reason I could see it being second is if you get into, we're disagreeing about the kind of things the enemy is, you know, um, I don't so much care if you think it's multiple or one, but if we disagree that there is an enemy, you know, if we disagree that there's such thing as darkness, or if we disagree that the enemy cares about lying, or if the enemy cares about what's happening in Ukraine, or the enemy's using these things, I, I could see disagreeing about what we're going against being kind of hard. Uh, you know, I imagine yeah. if we're fighting in the same army and we're not fighting the same bad guys, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking more superhero than army, but... Yeah. That could be difficult, but I still lean towards three. I'm not really sold on. 
And another aspect that that Satan's been called, devil has been called in the New Testament, is the chief of liars. And I and I think that's that's one of the the titles given that there's this kind of what breaks a relationship up worse than lying to someone that you can't trust them. And so if, if the devil is at work, there's force at work to to um, steamroll or um, or or damage your relationship with God. Then it's it, it's based in lying, lying, not being able to trust. So one thing we like to do on the show before we start to wrap up is our uh, the single tangible action. We always ask our guest if you've been on the show or if you listen to the show before you've heard it, uh, we just want to ask you if there is one tangible action that our listeners can do right now to maintain unity in the church. Yeah, that's a good one. And, and thinking about this, thinking about um, kind of our subject about Job and um, and kind of understanding of, of the devil or Satan, or Lucifer. You know, I think uh, in in the book of Job, um, it's really Job has these so-called friends who are there to comfort him and his great loss and suffering, but really they're just kind of like um, giving him you know cliche answers of what proverbs. Uh, says about what he deserves or or doesn't deserve, and surely he's done something wrong, so he deserves it. And and they're just giving those cliche answers. So I, my tangible thing is, you know, when you're being a good friend to someone, and you're trying to help, don't give them a cliche answer. If they lost a loved one, don't don't say, um, you know, that God just need another angel in heaven, or you know, there must be a reason, or there must be a purpose for it. You just don't understand it now. Don't give them those cliches up front. Um, because that's just not going to help. Be with them. Tell them it sucks. Give them a hug. Walk with them and say they're not alone. That that's a way to help when they're going through the suffering. And, and I will also say that in our Lutheran liturgy, um, during our baptismal liturgy, there's a part where we ask the person being baptized or or the family that's baptizing their baby. Uh, we literally say, uh, we ask them a question. Do you renounce the devil and all the forces that defy God? And in the liturgy, they're supposed to respond um, I do, and I ask God to help me. So, so not only do we ask them to renounce the devil, but also all the forces that defy God. Um, and so, in the midst of our lives together, what are those things that that defy God that that we can renounce on a daily basis, not just at rituals at church? All right, and then we like to do our God moment segment. Uh, we just like to take a minute to share what all God's been up to with us recently by sharing a blessing, challenge, moment of worship, anything like that. Normally, I would make Josh go first. He has abandoned us. So I will go first to give you the time you need. Okay. Uh, mine this week is going to be a bit of a challenge, sort of. Uh, just kind of want to ask people to pray for uh, my work family. You know, mm. a couple of people at work are going through it right now. They could use all the help they can get. So. It's just one of those weeks, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are going through a lot. So as we talk about Job, you know, there's people out there in it. And how can we respond to that as friends to them? Um, mm -hmm. I was here, my God moment, um, uh, a couple of nights ago, there was a lunar eclipse. And my family, we love the stars. We love the cosmos. We love cosmology. We love um, geeking out over stars and constellations and the origins of the universe and space and planets. And, and so for, it was a clear night. So we were able to go on our back porch and take out the high power binoculars and, and pointed out 
the lunar, at the moon, right at the height and peak of the lunar eclipse. And it was pretty spectacular and very awe-inspiring. So again, it, and it reminded me that, that there are bigger things other than me and there's a grander universe out there and that we're all a part of it and how, how much of a blessing that is for us to be able to comprehend it, to look at it, but also marvel at God's handiwork of, of the universe. Yeah, that's great. It was really stormy over here, so I did not get to see it. But it's cool. I've seen it before. I'll, I'll see another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. You can also share it with a cousin. That is completely up to you. I believe in free will. And uh, check out our other podcast at systematicgeekology.org where you can hear Josh and I uh, with our good friend Will here mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Uh, just talk about general geeky stuff. Yeah. Remember, you can leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and that helps us out a whole lot, especially the negative ones. As much as Josh doesn't like to admit it, they're usually more helpful than a five-star review. And thank you for listening then to the Whole Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we will be having another roundtable discussion with Brandon Knight, Pastor Will Rose, right here, uh, Joe Day, and Father Jonathan Resmini. After that, we'll be interviewing Trimper Longman III for the third time? Fourth time? I'm not sure. I lose track. He's on here all the time, feels like. And uh, his newest commentary on Revelation. And at the end of season one, of course, we will have Francis Chan. He doesn't know it yet. Hopefully he finds out soon and agrees. (laughs) uh, Because having an infinitely long season one is no fun. So thank you again for listening. Come back next week. We are so glad for your support. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Again, next week we had a little bit of technical difficulties, so we will be taking one week off before returning to our normal scheduled interviews. Thank you for your understanding. Remember, you can always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast.